Hey, Larry, how you doing today, man? Happy New Year, brother. Glad to make 2023. Yeah, here we are. We're rocking and rolling. All right, let's get this show on the road. I'm Scott Farber. The good-looking guy all dressed up is Larry Mallory, a former New York Giant as the playoffs get ready, and the former NFL Players Association president of Fort Worth Chapter. And Larry, before I we, uh, begin, Scott and uh, uh, Zeke, our producers, told me I had to say, hit, hit the like button and subscribe, guys. And if that, and that's if you're watching us on YouTube. If you're watching us on Facebook, like the page. I guess I got that right. Who knows? All right, Larry, football surprises last week. Washington easily defeated the Cowboys. Now, this was a two ways of looking at it. It was a big game because the Cowboys still technically, if the Eagles lost and the Cowboys won, the Cowboys would have had the home field advantage all the way through in a bye week. Now they have to go down to Tampa and play in the wild card game while Philadelphia has the bye week. What happened to the Cowboys, or did they not care? Did they just assume Philadelphia would win? Well, you definitely can't say that they would assume Philadelphia would win. You know, they, they've made it to the, the to the end of the year. I think one of the challenges with the Cowboys right now, honestly, is offense because I like their defense. I like Micah Parsons. I like how they're moving him around now, you know, and, and not not just keeping keeping him in one spot so that, that the offensive teams can play in for him. So I, I think it's their offense. I think that there, there's some some developments required on the offensive side of the ball. Do you think that game, you know, they did not have a good offensive game? Now, is that just in the past they don't care anymore, or is there a little bit of the things mentally in their head as they go down to Tampa? Because it wasn't the best time of the year to have a terrible game. That's true. That's true. But but just as a, you know, with the type of money that these young men are making nowadays and and the type of teams that we have in the NFL, I think that everybody wants to play. <laughs> right, right. Everybody wants to get out and do something positive. But I think it's just getting more competitive. And one of the com most competitive elements of the new game, Scott, is the fact that there are better types of athletes. In our day, you know, you had 300-pound, you know, 290-pound linemen, offensive and defensive linemen. Now, you know, you got 270-pound linemen that's running as fast as linebackers and defensive backs. Right. So I, I think the talent is just, you know, the, the, the talent amongst the players now is, is getting better and better, and, and that's where I think the game is changing. The speed of the game is changing, and the hits of the game is changing. You know, there was one other surprise last weekend, but it really wasn't a surprise to everyone. That was Detroit beating Green Bay. What did you think of that one? Were you surprised by that, by the outcome? I actually wasn't. I thought Detroit would win. I I, I thought Detroit would win as well. Um, I I like I, I like uh, Green Bay. I like their quarterback, but I think their quarterback is there now a little too long. I think it's about time for him to. <laughs> because... Well, you know that's a whole other discussion because you know we all, we've talked about this. You know, just personally, it's so hard. To say goodbye, you, you know, you know, you know, it's it's, you know, and especially a star, teams don't know how to tell them goodbye. I think the Cowboys uh, told Troy Aikman it was time, but they also had nine concussions on his uh, on his rap sheet that helped them make the decision for him, which was probably very wise. 
but it's hard to tell your stars, especially you got to quit. They kind of, it's like almost the unwritten rule. They get to play until they say they don't want to play anymore. That's true. And they also have such a great impact on the guy that's behind them. Right. I'm, I'm thinking that, I mean, it's, it's, it's really very favorable to be a backup quarterback to Tom Brady because right. you're learning, you know, you're learning as you're playing, as you're watching him play. He's teaching you different things, and then there's a, a great relationship during the practice session. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we might have another great good quarterback coming after. Well, look at the uh, – I'm sure um, um, Aaron Rodgers learned a lot from Brett Favre. Oh, definitely, yes. Yeah. You, you know, because he had to sit a couple of years behind Favre, and he couldn't complain because he's watching a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, so, no, it, it's interesting. But Detroit, when the game started, they still had a chance of getting to the playoffs too. You know, Seattle had a lose to the Rams, and Seattle won in overtime. But the Detroit coach, you know, had handled it so well. He, he told the team that, you know, we got a chance to go, and if we're not going, either are they. You know, that was the motivation to get Green Bay out of there. And, you know, that, uh, you know, conference rivalry or division rivalry, I, I, I thought, I, I think Detroit is going to a team to be reckoned with next year because I think if they made the playoffs – they weren't going to be a one and done. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with all of that. I and and you know we talked about weather, uh, some of our podcasts and how how important it is for teams to be able to li- live in the cold environment and play in the cold environment. And so you know for us right now we're in Texas and what is it uh, seventy five outside? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the Cowboys would rather be playing here, I think. Exactly. Exactly. You know, of course, their first game's in Tampa, and we'll see. Um, we'll, we'll get to the predictions uh, later on the show, but but I got to ask you one other thing. Uh-huh. We have always talked about, like, if you and I went out to play uh, horse, we would play to the death to beat each other because competition, you want to win. Athletes, especially at the level of the NFL, they want to win no matter what. But here is the Texans playing the last football game of the year. If they lose, they get the number one pick. If they win, the number one pick goes to the Bears. So Houston wins that game on a long pass in the final minute, and then they didn't go for the tie. They went for two for the win. They got it. They won the game. They lost the number one draft pick. So isn't there a part that would have said, you guys proved you could come back and win this game? Drop the darn two-point conversion. (laughs) I mean, right after the game, the coach, Lovey Smith, was fired. Now, I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. Yeah. But, you know, I know you want to win, but... Didn't you prove, okay, look at what we did. We did this. Now drop the two-point conversion, and we get the number one pick next year, and we can get a quarterback. Yeah. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> there's, a, there's an old saying that pro- the difference in a professional and an amateur is consistent. Right. And I think that, that, that what you just explained, honestly, is – it relates to consistency, and that's what happens when you can get to that level of play. You know, your level of play is consistently at a high at at a level that can compete. 
Right. And I think that that's, that's kind of where everything uh, falls out and everything stays, everything stays. What, what, what did the front office think, though? What, what, are the, what are those executives thinking? They're counting on that number one pick, aren't they? They, they? they would like the number one pick, but they also have access to the uh, financial report. So if they, we don't know if they're making money or not because the money, the money is made, like we, I think we talked about this too, the money is made in the stadium and the hot dogs. And the well, yeah, no, they're making money. They're sold out, and, and those television rights is enough money. That's right. You know, you know yeah, they're doing fine. I, it's just one of those fine lines. I mean, you know, next year when they're not with who they might have wanted to draft, you know, maybe they'll reflect a little bit about, hey, look, at I, I admit it's a, that's a hard call because, you know, as an athlete, the guys in the field want to win. We're not projecting to next year yet. Um, but I know somebody in that organization was, and they probably were not too thrilled that they got that. So last year, their coach, one year and done. This year, the new coach, Lovey Smith, one year and done. Did Lovey get fired? Why would you fire Lovey Smith if you're trying to do a rebuild? And, you know, what, what did he do wrong? It leads me to think what he did wrong was fall for a two-point conversion and they got it. Well, you know, what he did wrong, probably we would never know because the 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 stadium is crowded, the, the fans are there, and, and the capitalism is still rolling. Because, you know, in a lot of coaching situations, they also analyze how the team is operating in the locker room and outside the locker room. And one of the one of the requirements of the coaches is just not to get the players ready to play. But it's also to keep the team balanced and stable and, you know, keep the business going. Because, honestly, football is, is the biggest sports business. So, you know, but when I look at it, you know, that's two years in a row they had a coach for the one season. You got, you know, the next guy coming in has got to say, look, we don't have the winning formula right now. I've got to build. They're going to get behind the new coach and give them some time. Or is it going to be like, you didn't win this year, you're out again? Well, I would imagine in the, in the negotiation, and especially with you bringing up, you know, the coaches have been coming in and going out. Whoever they negotiate with on the next coaching job, he's probably his agent is probably going to pay attention to that and negotiate in a way in which he, he doesn't become the third person. Yeah, and I know I would imagine. Now, you know, the Bears are, uh, you know, a prime example they had a terrible year. You know, I, they, they talk about all the games they lost by one score and everything, but they just aren't good. And they have a plan that they say is going to take a couple of years. Well, now they have the first pick. Is You know, you hear so many reports about this. Is Justin Fields their quarterback, or is he the trade bait because they're going to get a first round, you know, they're getting the number one pick, and they could take one of these quarterbacks. So is the number one pick the trade bait, or is Justin Fields the trade bait? Wow, that's a great question. If we knew the, if we picked the right answer, then we're going to go get a lottery. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so pick it. If you're right, man, I'm going. That's right. That's right. That's right. I, I just, you know, I just think that, um, you know, I, you always ask me ask me about this, and I always come up with injury. Right. And I think that 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 sort of defines even the quarterback environment. That defines 
where the team and the decision, where the team goes and the decisions that the coaches make. And, and um, well, that, that opens up the door to trading Justin because he injured his shoulder this year and he injured his, his uh, hips this year. And, and he played injured, uh, but, he, but he isn't the same when he's injured. And my question is, you know, they have him running way too much for a quarterback, in my opinion. You know, he his run should be limited during the uh, game, and there'll be times when he'll scramble and run anyway. So is he injury-prone, or is it because the way they used him where he's just susceptible to injuries? Well, you know, the, the, the analysis that you just made really, in my mind, highlighted the offensive line. You know, uh, maybe there there needs to be some focus on the offense. Oh, absolutely! They've they've got a weak offensive line. They got a couple of good spots, but they got a couple of big holes. Exactly, and I think that's causing him. He knows where the strengths and the weaknesses of his own offensive line is. Right. But I think that might be one of the uh, things on the back of his mind that says, "Okay, I got to be ready to get out of here." You know, if I right if I'm hitting for some pressure. Well, Hamlin continues to recover. He's at home now doing rehab. I mean, it's just been great news. I heard the uh, Buffalo coach said he's welcome back to the team as soon as he's ready. So that tells me there's talk already of him playing football again. We don't know if that'll ever happen or not. But were you surprised at how normal everything seemed on Sunday? I mean, I was a little bit interested to see our, you know, in the meaningless games were all the players really down for playing, you know, because, uh, you know, you know, it was an awful, horrible thing that we all witnessed. So were you shocked at how natural everything seemed to be at normal again? You know, the hitting was pretty regular football again. Were you surprised by that? Or do you think that's how it would be? Uh, I, I really thought that's how it would be. Uh, uh-huh. I thought that there would be uh, if there was, I thought there would be more, well, I, we don't know this or not, but I thought that there would be communication, more enhanced communication between the union and the owner, right? You know what I mean? Because then there, that, that would include every player and it would talk about the requirements for safety. So, and, and I'm not sure, Scott, that, that that's not happening now. Yeah, no, I might be behind the scenes. I mean, they don't have to broadcast every move they make now. Exactly. Now, uh, but this has been a remarkable story because of the remarkable recovery. I mean, we all breathed a sigh of relief for this kid. And now there's still the New York giant Peyton Hillis, the last I heard. He was the uh, former football player. I think he might have been a giant, too, that um, uh, rescued his kids were drowning. I don't even know where they were, what the story was. But he rescued his kids from drowning. This was just, you know, a week or two ago. And um, he's been in the hospital since with uh, lung and kidney issues from what he put his body through to save his kids. So, you know, our, our thoughts are with that family, prayers, you know, hopefully he's going to have a full recovery too. Was that in the flooding out in California? You know, Larry, I don't know anything else about that story. I don't, I don't know. So I'm not going to even speculate, you know, where, where they were. Uh, I just saw it coming through. Uh, that it happened, no information on it, and then I saw an update that he's still in the hospital. I guess his lungs were better, his kidneys were um, still having issues. So hopefully, hopefully uh, Peyton Hillis will have a full recovery, and his kids will too. You know, and uh, 
Uh, and then well, my daughter you know. is out there in California in that blur. How's she doing? She's doing okay, uh, which is a good thing. She, her mother and her grandma. Yeah. But I was really concerned because I couldn't uh, communicate and connect with them for a little while. I didn't know where they were. Yeah, no, I remember when you sent me that text. It's pretty frightening when that happens. You know, I know how Rhonda was, she can't find our kids. You know, how, how she, you know, my kids are adults. <laughs> yeah. And when she can't find them, and she's always tracking them, you know, she goes, uh, she still goes nuts and everything. Boy, am I glad they didn't have those tracking devices um, when we were in college, Lair. <laughs> you know. I hear you. You know, I, I, I totally agree, too. They're going to have to go to the. Uh, I think that's the. Uh, that, I think that's the uh, film we're going to run today. At the end, I think I'm going to have Zeke put on uh, uh, the video we did when we went back to uh, Tennessee State when we were both in Nashville at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll talk about that window in the dorm. Okay. <laughs> let's bring uh, Let's bring Scott and Zeke on our producers for a little trivia time. And I always I work harder on finding a question for Zeke than I do Scott. Because uh, I, don't, I don't know why it is. It gives me too much stress and anxiety trying to guess. Future Jeopardy champion. champion. Uh, what now? Future Jeopardy champion. <laughs> yeah, you know, let, let, that would be wonderful. Get out there, baby. All right. So, Zeke, this, is, this may be very easy or we're going to have a chuckle. Who is that McMahon? We're getting a countdown, baby. <laughs> you give up? I think, I think we might end up having a chuckle. Okay, yeah, we are, believe me. We are. We're having a chuckle, but we're also crying. All right, Scott. Yes. What was Johnny Carson's relationship to Joey Bishop? I don't know who Joey Bishop is, but I do know who Johnny Carson is, so. Well, you know, you're not getting points for that. All right. <laughs> Zeke, Ed McMahon was Johnny Carson's sidekick for 635 years. Then he had his own show, Star Search, for a while. I thought maybe you guys would know him from that, but that was still before your time, too. Joey Bishop was a comedian, part of the Rat Pack with Frank Sinatra, you know, and, and those guys. But his relationship with the Johnny Carson was, he was the guest host on, on The Tonight Show for Johnny Carson about 200 times. And then he had his own late night talk show on ABC, um, competing against Johnny for two years. Didn't work out that well, Johnny beat everybody. The interesting point, well, I was 18 years old and I was out in LA and I went to the Joey Bishop show and they started asking questions to the audience. I'm going, I'm sitting here in LA and I could be on network TV. So my hand went up, and they, I actually got to talk to Zsa Zsa Gabor on that show. The interesting thing was that they taped the shows back then and played them the next day. So I was able to actually go home or go to the hotel and the next night uh, stayed home. Uh, uh, I was out there with my folks. I was still in high school. And uh, we watched the, uh, the show the next night. That was my first... Uh, the first break in the TV. All right, here's a here's a little question from either of you, and you're gonna have five seconds so we can get back to the playoffs. What word starts with E, ends with E, but there's usually 
only one letter in it. Eve. That's three letters. Z. So one letter in between it, right? No, usually only one letter in it. Oh, one letter in it. Yeah. Okay, Z, five seconds. So the word E, like for the letter? Envelope. Okay. Starts with E, ends with E. There's usually only one letter in it. Bye, guys. <laughs> I got that off of one of your, somebody's TikToks. See, I'm a youngster. <laughs> and he means a Snapple bottle or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it took, took me a while to get up on that one, but I <laughs> I did. That made my day. I, the fact that they didn't get my questions, then I'm crying. How the hell do you not know who Ed McMahon is? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Zeke. Just wanted to play with you a little bit there. All right. Larry, Seattle and the 49ers. That could have been Detroit, I guess, in the 49ers, maybe, if Detroit got in, and it would have been a tougher game. But who are you going with, Seattle or the 49ers? <laughs> I love Seattle. I really like them, but I got to go with the 49ers. 49ers, I think. You know, the 49ers, it's amazing how well their uh, rookie quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant or something, is playing. And yeah. uh, But that defense is, uh, wow. They're they're a good team. They're 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 one that uh, could give everybody a run for their money. Seattle, you got to you got to give credit to the coach, the whole team, and of course their quarterback. They had a phenomenal year. All right, the Chargers and the Jaguars. This I think is going to be a good one. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a good one. I'll probably go with the Jaguars. I am too. You know, I am too. I am too. You know, the Chargers, uh, you know, they got a lot going for them, but there's just something kind of magical going on that everything for the Jaguars is clicking now. Their quarterback in his third season is starting to look like what they were hoping he would be. And their coach that they brought in, you know, did that magic with uh, with uh, Philadelphia and won it. And, uh, and I think uh, they, they might be interesting yet. Yeah. All right, the Dolphins and the Bills. And now here's where your injury report, you know, can come in because Tua is not playing. Or at least yeah. that's what they said. I don't know if it shows up or not. Yeah. I I'll go with the Bills. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think uh uh I think the Bills are, are gonna do well uh in this game. And because Tua is not playing. Well yeah, yeah. Here's one then Go ahead. Who backs up Tua? I knew you were going to ask me that. You know me with names. I'm as good with names as you are. I know, I know him. I see him, but I can't think of his name. Yeah, same here. Go. No, it's Skylar Thompson. Thank you. I appreciate that, Skylar Thompson. You know, the, you know, when you're younger, Larry, you can still remember a name. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. All right, the Giants and the Vikings. And my answer is going to shock you. Giants. I'm going with the Giants too. Yeah. I, you know, the Vikings won a million games this year, you know, by one score or less. Did they also have like a 90-yard field goal or something that <laughs> that was the good and whatnot? I think the Vikings had a great year. I really do. But I think the Giants are fooling a lot of people with the talent on that team. I agree. You know, totally. here's another top-tier team. Playing another top-tier team, but uh, the Ravens, uh, I don't think, are going to make it. Ravens and the Bengals. Who you got? I don't even know if uh, Lamar is playing in this game yet or not. Okay, okay. He hasn't played, like, in five weeks, so. 
okay, so I got to go with the other team because for me, he he's really the catalyst for that. Well, of course, you know, but they, boy, they got a good coach in that Harbaugh on the sidelines. But boy, there's something about the Bengals and Burrows. They don't panic. I don't care how many points they're down. They quietly, methodically score a lot of points when they have to. Yeah. So I'm going with the Bengals also. All right, Monday night, of course, Monday night, America's team. We were talking to Scott and Zeke before we started taping the show, and I just said, guys, were you even born the last time America's team won the Super Bowl? So I want to know when that title, and the answer was no. So I want to know when that title of America's team goes away because Scott and Zeke are grown adult men, you know. (laughs) I mean, even the Bears have been to the Super Bowl in in their lifetime. So America's team playing the Buccaneers, everything says that they should win that game big. But Tom Brady's never lost to the Cowboys. He's seven and zero. What are you thinking? Well, uh, what really surprised me, I did not realize that he had never lost to the Cowboys. And for me, what that says is that. No matter what the pregame plan is, Tom Brady, with his experience, and he's seen so many different defenses, you know, types, that no matter how you start off, whatever you're doing now, he's able to adjust to it. Well, yeah, and I read something they were picking on Tom Brady the other day. He's releasing the ball the fastest in the league, 2.45 seconds, but they're going, but those are all short, completed passes. I'm sitting there going, if I could pick up six or seven yards on every play, I'm doing okay. I'm eating the clock and I'm moving the ball down the field. You know, so I don't think that's a necessarily a terrible thing. But um, on paper, everything says the Cowboys are going to win this game. But I'm going to go with that Brady intangible, and I'm going to I'm going to pick the Buccaneers. Like the Buccaneers as well. And yeah, I also think that 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 they the Buccaneers defense. It's not talked about a lot, but they work well together. It's not like there's a star on the defense, but they work very well together. They're also under 500. I'm not going to count the last game of the year because Brady came out with the lead and then they lost the game, you know, because it meant nothing to them that game. So let's say the Buccaneers were 500 this year. The Cowboys had a tremendous year. They were 12 and 5. But I just go back last weekend in a very important game. They just. Their offense was just bad, you know. So you know, it's it's really hard to call this game because on paper the Cowboys should win this game easily, you know. But Brady's a big in, uh, intangible. Of course, he's so old, you know. So that's why they play him. But that's the Monday night game, the America's team, and and you know, and it's just not Brady. Uh, the 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 coaching staff for Tampa Bay and Brady, I think interact very well and the Cowboys no matter what happens the Cowboys are going to have a strategy I believe to start the game one way and adjust during the game Brian Tampa is going to have the same kind of strategy yeah because they, they, they don't want to they don't want to be predictable you know what I mean right <laughs> right right you know it, it, it it's going to be interesting well that's why they play the games all right I'm gonna. We're gonna leave everybody now, and we're gonna leave them on this note. Uh, Zeke is gonna put in the um, the documentary you and I did on the spur of the moment when we took a ride back to Tennessee State when we left that meeting that we were upset about, and we went to Tennessee State, and you kind of reminisce being there. 
And I want people to notice that when we got to the guard at the front of the school, Larry was a star football player at this school at Tennessee State, and he wound up in the NFL. But when we pulled up, he goes, I'm with Scott Farber to get let in. And I cracked up because that lady knew, I mean, <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant, but I got to sit. As soon as she saw me, that guard, that date went right up. <laughs> I mean, I, that was one of my, my favorite moments, Larry. <laughs> Not hi, I'm Larry Mallory. I used to go to school here. He's Scott. <laughs> it was I think you also said who you were too. Yeah. Uh, I would. I was like the icing on the cake there. I'm called. What are you doing? What do I mean? <laughs> but that was great. But it's a great little reminiscing. Larry got emotional in it. Yeah. Pointed out where his mother sat and cheered him on and everything. And uh, when we talk about Larry's mom, Larry cries every time. <laughs> so so uh, uh, I, I think you guys will enjoy that. So uh, uh, it's long. It's about ten minutes, twelve minutes. So. You know, give yourself a little time to watch it. You'll you'll like it. And we'll see you guys uh, next week. Larry, we'll have more games to go over. All right. All right, good man. For Scott and Zeke, and of course, Larry and myself, take care, everyone. Take care. Be safe. My name is Larry Mallory. This is Scott Farber. I'm here for the Salute to Greatness. I played in the NFL, but I'm also here. I'm filming the whole show for our university. Much. Right. We appreciate it. Thank you. Driving to the campus uh, was interesting only because I, it was so so many new buildings, so many you know such development. And during the time that we were there in the university, everything seemed to be closer and tighter. You know, right. and now it looks like it's just spread out. It looks like it's um, it's very comfortable for the kids. But I was just very impressed with how they've developed the campus and how, how nice it is. No, no, my favorite memory of Tennessee State uh, was not having my mother to have to pay another tuition. Yeah. Yeah, she had, um, she had her, my older brother and sister in college. She had her aunt's two children in college. And she had her sister's three kids in college. And Lane, between Lane College Fisk University and Tennessee State. So when I got that scholarship, it really, uh, really helped out. Saved the day. Yeah, really helped out. Well, this was just, you know, wasn't even there when I was here. Our school started about at the top of the hill. Frederick Humphreys Hall, he was one of our past presidents. And Scott, this is spread out. I mean, see, before you could go straight through and at the other end, was was um, like um, uh, apartments for kids and that. Now they have really nice apartments and all type of stuff. They call it Tennessee Village in the old days. At the gate, he told the guard he was with me, like that was going to help us get into the campus. And that he used to play in the NFL and he kept right on talking. The guard finally smiled as the two of us waved and let us in and Larry was still going on. I said, Larry, perhaps you might have said I'm a Tennessee State grad and overwhelmed to be back here. But we did get in. Two things that stood out to me, how the college kid in Larry came out as he seemed to recognize every women's dorm on the campus. Oh, listen, boy. Sneaking in those doors right there. Yeah, they, uh, they, throwing they all... rocks up at windows saying, oh, please come out and talk to me. <laughs> yeah, but all these years later, uh... 
Uh, we we were still work. No, <laughs> no. It's a. I gotta tell you this. That window down there on the end, on the first floor. Well, if you were juniors, if you were senior, you know, or uh, about to go to pros, especially, you were always on the first floor. Right, right. And for some reason, Coach Gilliam put me in the room with a guy called William Wynn. And William has actually died. He played number. He was number seventy-seven for the Philadelphia Eagles. Hell of a hell of a defensive line. But took me under his wing as a sophomore. He was a senior. And he would, he, his, one of his good friends was the drum majorette. Her name was Sissy Baby, right? And uh, they would jump out of the window after curfew. Uh -huh. And I'm the, I'm the youngest, so it would be about four or five older guys. And he would say, Larry, come on, come on, no problem, come on. I'd jump out of the window with them. We'd go, we're after curfew. They'd take me to the older girls' uh, right, right. places, you know, that had apartments and stuff. And, um, and we would be back on time, to, but all the, all the younger players are kind of a little concerned because, you know, why are they taking you under his arm? You know, I'm with yeah, the seniors, yeah, hanging yeah, with yeah, the yeah. seniors and stuff, so. And I can't put on film the other things that we did out of that window. Because <laughs> we, we, uh, there was a lot of things we sent out of the window and a lot of things that came in that window. So, yeah, that was the last window on the first floor. And um, Coach, Gillum, Coach Gillum said one time, he said, oh, sh Mallory. Wherever William Wynn is, the police ain't too far behind. <laughs> <laughs>56, Melbourne, Australia. Oh, I Madeline Manning. That's right. I, Edith McGuire. I remember her too. Cheeseburg. Shonda Cheeseburg. Oh, Olympic. Olympian. Tiger Bell. Yeah. Right? 
First impression, honestly, was a degree of safety. I think you and I spoke about the fencing that was around the campus and how how uh, there were so many cars. <laughs> we also talked about the fact that in our day, bicycles. <laughs> that's right. It was bicycles, and now they have uh, parking lots for the kids. But to me, there was a degree of safety there. Um, there was a um, there was a, a lot of kids moving around, interacting with each other, and I think that's very positive on any any college campus. Now, I know you got emotional thinking about your mom in the stands, you know, when you walked out on the football field, but did memories of playing there flood back? Uh, well, it does. And not only playing there, but the impact uh, that the coaching staff had on our lives. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, I've talked a lot about the impact of coaches and mentors. Um, in our day, one of the key elements of, of being in an HBCU was not only being athletic, but being educational. And so we talked also about the fact that we had to go to class and there were punishment if we didn't go to class. And so, so for me, coming back to that university, not only did it give me a background of athletics and health, but it also gave me, a, I think, a background of education and achievement and wanting, wanting to help others. We would come in from the other end, but we would come in down low to the uh, locker rooms. We wouldn't, we wouldn't really have a lot of access to the students. Right, you know, right. before the game. Here, I tell you, during our era, they were always crowded. There was oh, never yeah. a seat in that stadium. And I've seen some, uh, some very, very special athletes on this field. You know, even the five, even the six, uh, the five or six guys that we have coming for this weekend's um, salute to greatness. Just to see, you know, how they operated on this field, too tall and Claude Humphrey. And, you know, to be in their midst and to be in that kind of team environment, th this is a little emotional for me. And, it, and it's even, I, I, I'm, first I have to thank you. Thank you for bringing me here because I always thought that my most emotion was when I would go to a pro field right. uh, that I played against oh, the no, Giants no. or something, yeah. right? But even when I go up to Giants Stadium alumni, we're all in the stadium and we're all, it, it doesn't feel like this. Yeah. I you mean, know, this I, is where I'm it started. standing here. I never played on this field, but I'm standing here just imagining how this feels to you because I know you're remembering it when it was full. I mean, packed. And, <laughs> and you would still hear your mother about the crowd. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. One thing about this college, though, if you didn't go to class, even if you weren't an athlete, right. if you didn't go to class, there was some teacher that would always come and, and try to understand why. You know, sometimes it was things that you weren't doing right. Sometimes it was things happening at home, you know, with your right. family. Right, sure. Yeah. And it was never like they were teachers. It was almost like they were like you and you are to me, <laughs> like mentors. Yeah, yeah. You know, honestly, you know, um, you've had many more experiences than I've, I've had. And so when, you know, for you to give us the opportunity, give this university the opportunity to be on Generations Broadcast Center, is a special, a very special thing in my heart. Yeah. Uh, at Generations Broadcast Center, we capture the lives and the histories of families. That's what you're doing for this university. Sure, sure. And you're doing it at a time when they need visibility. They right, need, right. HBCUs are not getting the same funding that they used to get, and there's a somewhat of a threat on them. So for you to give this university the opportunity to, to become visual, on this social media platform where all these millennials are right now. Right. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure, if, if I hope you get a chance to meet the president, but I'm sure I'm speaking for her as well.
Tell me your name again. Patrick Smith. Patrick Smith. And yes, defensive back? No. Receiver. <laughs> Athlete. Athlete. Uh, <laughs> so are you planning on going to the NFL? Yes, sir. Yes, and who are you trying to get to, man? Anybody. Anybody want to want to put me on the roster? Anybody. Really? How was your college career? Uh, my college career was uh, good, you know. I had all conference pretty much every year. Starter. Not only playing there, but the impact uh, that the coaching staff had on our lives. You know, we talked a lot about, you and I have talked a lot about the impact of coaches and mentors. Um, in our day, one of the key elements of, of being in an HBCU was not only being athletic, but being educational. And so we've talked also about the fact that we had to go to class and there were punishment if we didn't go to class. And so, so for me, coming back to that university, not only did it give me a background of athletics and health, but it also gave me, a, I think, a background of education and achievement and wanting, wanting to help others. I'm big blue all the way, so I come back here, they welcome us, and we just like to work.